Welcome to Scream Scene, the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order, and then we rank them from best to worst. My name's Ben. And I'm Sarah. Thank you for listening to us today. That is a deep voice. Is it? Yeah, it's super deep. Is it not just my regular voice? No, it sounded like you were doing a a shtick. Oh, no, this is just my... My I'm on the radio voice. <laughs> How are you today, Sarah? I am doing all right. Um, I'm looking forward to next week slash weekend because we have a little mini vacation booked. Right. Yeah. We're going to be staying at a hotel here in downtown Calgary. Yeah. So not really leaving any place. Um, didn't really feel comfortable because cases are rising in Alberta and also Everywhere. like I have I have like work stuff that requires me to stay like in the city. Yeah, but we could have worked around it, you know, like we could have scheduled it another time and sure, stuff. Sure, sure, sure. Um but yeah, so this is going to be a little vacation. Uh we haven't really taken one in summer yet. Uh so this is just a couple days off. So this is just to like be somewhere other than our house, somewhere with a pool. Yes, <laughs> specifically with a pool. That was my ask. Right, yeah. So I'm just kind of counting the hours down to then. <laughs> uh, how are you? I'm doing all right. Um, I also don't like that case numbers are going up again in Alberta, but I'd feel much more comfortable about a lot of things in my life if they were going down instead. Get vaccinated, my friends. It's just hard to like plan anything yeah when you're like well but um overall i'm doing okay do you feel okay enough for a horror movie that sounds like it's going to be pretty bad (laughs) yeah of course i'm always up for watching a horror movie with you sarah (laughs) what are we watching today today we're watching the unknown terror from 1957 directed by charles marquis warren The only thing that I know about this is what you teased last week, which was uh, a woman getting possessed by her husband's ex-wife. Yes. And that was an incorrect tease. Okay. Um, Well, I got all hyped for nothing then. So there's, there's, there's nothing that I really know about. Well, I know some stuff now about this movie, but like, I don't really know a lot about what the story is. Um, This movie was released on a double feature with Back from the Dead, which is the movie about the woman who gets possessed by her husband's ex-wife. Okay. Um, But this was the A picture, or rather like, that's sort of misleading, the lead feature in -hmm. the double bill. Uh, So we'll be watching Back from the Dead next week. Okay. The Unknown Terror was the first of an eight-picture deal that director-producer Charles Marquis Warren signed with 20th Century Fox to make widescreen B-movies through their Regal Films imprint. Right. Uh, We've already seen one of these, right? A couple of them. Okay. Um, Not from this particular deal, but we've seen a couple of Regal Films pictures, yes. And we've talked about how they basically existed as like a weird workaround because Fox invented cinemascope and then all the other studios copied it and fox had this like internal studio policy that only a pictures got cinemascope but theater owners refused to do like the renos and get the lenses and shit 
to get widescreen if like only one movie coming out each week had widescreen like so they wanted b movies in widescreen so fox got around their own internal studio rule by basically outsourcing widescreen b movies to regal films just change the rule yeah it's i don't know it's strange to me but that's how things were done um so then warren is this director producer who was signed up to make some b movies for regal through 20th century fox now warren was an experienced writer director producer uh who was best known for his work in westerns okay he was born in baltimore in 1912 and got his start writing plays in college and um he was able to get a staff writer position at mgm because he was f scott fitzgerald's godson okay so got a little leg up there i mean nepotism is unheard of in hollywood so i'm, I'm shocked <laughs> shocked uh while he was writing at uh mgm on staff he also wrote for pulp fiction magazines um he served in the navy in world war ii and was awarded the purple heart uh, after being wounded from a grenade oh fuck um and he later wrote a novel about his wartime experiences after his discharge, he returned to Hollywood as a screenwriter with a specialty in Westerns. In 1951, he began directing those Westerns in addition to writing them, and The Unknown Terror would be his eighth feature film as a director. In 1955, CBS offered Warren $7,000 a week to adapt the extremely popular radio series Gunsmoke to television. Warren produced the entire first season and then the first half of the second, and he also directed the first 26 episodes of the series, which would eventually run for 635 episodes in 20 years. Directing all of the first 26 or 27 episodes for a weekly mm -hmm. television program, how did he have time to do anything else? Uh, he really didn't. So he ended up leaving Gunsmoke midway through the second season due to a deteriorating relationship with the series associate producer and returned to making films, which is when he signed the deal with Regal Pictures that resulted in this movie. Okay. This was produced alongside Back from the Dead, uh, which I mentioned was the second film in the double feature. But Back from the Dead was also directed by Charles Marquis Warren. So it was the second film of the eight films in his deal. Um, but it was produced with an entirely different crew. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Regal advertised the double feature as two super monstrous, superhuman, super shockers. <laughs> Thank you <laughs> for that voice. You're welcome. Our top build actor here is John Howard. Uh, he was born John Cox Jr. in Cleveland in 1913 and got his start in theater in college. A talent scout spotted him at a show, got him a screen test at Paramount, which got him a contract, and he changed his name. He acted throughout the 1930s, often either as a supporting character in A pictures or the lead in B movies. His first major role was in Frank Capra's epic, Lost Horizon in 1937. Following that, he was cast in the role of Bulldog Drummond, the 11th actor to play the part, but the first to do so more than once in seven films from 1937 to 1939. Is that part of like a series? Yes, it was a long-running series uh, based around the character Bulldog Drummond. That okay. it, continued, it originated before him and continued after him. 
what what was the series called? Just Bulldog Drummond? Yeah, like the movies would have titles like Bulldog Drummond Escapes. Bulldog Drummond is Captured Again. The Return of Bulldog Drummond. You know what I mean? Like, Okay, okay. Because they didn't have like part one, part two type titles back in those days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Among the variety of pictures at various studios that he made in the 1940s, we saw him in 1942's The Undying Monster, where he played the broody brother afflicted with lycanthropy. I will take your word for it. I don't really remember. That was the movie that was set in like Britain and there was like a Hound of the Baskervilles kind of vibe with a werewolf attacking people on the moors and like the brooding brother and there's a detective and his assistant. Yeah. And she's like real sassy. Yeah. And it was clearly designed to like set up a series with this detective and his assistant, but that never happened. And the movie ends with the werewolf guy like hanging off the cliff. Yeah, Yeah. 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 So he was the werewolf guy. Okay. He served in the U.S. Navy in World War II, and when his ship hit a mine and the captain was killed, Lieutenant Howard took command, saved the ship, and jumped into the water to save drowning crew members. Wow. He was awarded the Navy Cross. After the war, he returned to Hollywood, but to find that his star had dimmed in his time away, he struggled to get work. He appeared in B-movies, on stage, and on television. Did, did, were they not aware of what he did in the war? Like, that's like action movie hero material. Yeah, but, you know, in Hollywood, you're just Bulldog Drummond from the 30s. Nobody wants you anymore. Hollywood's a... A fickle bitch. Yes. In 1955, he got the lead role on the medical drama Dr. Hudson's Secret Journal, which ran for two seasons and led to the offer to star in The Unknown Terror. He continued to act on TV through the 50s, 60s, and 70s in, you know, variety of roles, um, including playing Fred McMurray's boss on My Three Sons, a (laughs) show that I now feel obligated to mention whenever it comes up in my research. Yes, you absolutely are obligated. Thank you. Afterwards, he taught high school English for the last 20 years of his life, passing away in 1995. The original title for The Unknown Terror was Beyond Terror, uh, which actress Mala Powers always thought was a better title. Yeah, that sounds really good. Yeah, Beyond Terror sounds dope. The Unknown Terror sounds like... Oh, no. I don't know what it is, though. Yeah, every other generic (laughs) horror movie title. I swear, like, when we go through the list to rank stuff at the end, and I pass by titles like The Undying Monster, The Mad Monster, The Unknown, Man Made Monster, like so many. It's just like they're so generic, and it's like I can't remember what this movie is about. So, Mala Powers was born Mary Ellen Powers in 1931 and began acting on stage when she was seven years old. Wow. She started doing radio at age 16 and started appearing in films at age 19 in 1950. Among her earliest well-remembered roles was as Roxanne in Stanley Kramer's version of Cyrano de Bergerac. She acted in film and television throughout the 60s and 70s and taught acting afterwards until her death in 2007. That's a good long run. A surprising return to horror film here is our old friend Calypso singer Sir Lancelot. Oh. Originally from Trinidad, he was a favorite of Val Luton's, appearing in I Walked with a Zombie, The Ghost Ship, and Curse of the Cat People as well as other films in the 1940s like To Have and Have Not and Zombies on Broadway. 
In the late 1950s, Calypso had become popular in the U.S. once again, which you can kind of see in films of the late 50s, early 60s. So Sir Lancelot began appearing on, like, TV and in movies again. Good for him. Just taking advantage of the, you know, resurgence in popularity of the genre. Uh, He passed away in 2001 at age 98. Wow, 98. Calypso must be good for the soul. Yeah. The film's cinematographer is Joseph Birak, who actually has a very long CV. Uh, Birak was born in 1903 in New Jersey, and he knew from age seven that he wanted to work in film, so he dropped out of high school to become a film lab technician. He worked his way up from lab tech to film printer to assistant cameraman to camera operator at RKO by the 1930s. In World War II, he worked as a camera operator for the Signal Corps and filmed the evidence of the Dachau concentration camp, ending the war with the rank of Major. He shot It's a Wonderful Life alongside Oscar-nominated DOP Joseph Walker. And in 1952, he was the cinematographer of the first 3D feature film, Buona Devil. Throughout his career, he worked in both TV and film, which in the 1950s was kind of rare. You were usually either one or the other. Mm -hmm. Um, He shot Donovan's Brain in 1953. Oh. So we've seen his work before there. And in the same year as this, 1957, he would shoot The Amazing Colossal Man for Burt I. Gordon. However, his most acclaimed work came as the result of his collaboration with producer Robert Aldrich, who sort of liked to keep like a um, consistent crew around him for his films. In 1964, he filmed the horror thriller, psychological thriller film Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, uh, for which he received an Oscar nomination. Oh, good for him. Uh, Another Aldrich film that he shot was Flight of the Phoenix in 1965. He also shot the films Tony Rome and The Detective, starring Frank Sinatra in the late 1960s. And in 1974, he shot Blazing Saddles. Oh, shit. uh, As well as The Towering Inferno, for which he won an Academy Award. And later in his career, he shot Airplane and its sequel. He passed away in 1996. That's a really cool story. Like yeah. a really cool like history of this guy. Uh, imagine the trivia point of, hey, you know the guy who shot Blazing Saddles in Airplane? He also shot film that documented one of the concentration camps. Yeah, that's, that's a little wild, up. huh? Yeah. Editor Michael Luciano started out as an assistant editor on Poverty Row, but like Joseph Birak, he became a favored collaborator of producer Robert Aldrich. One of his most famous editing jobs was the film noir Kiss Me Deadly, uh, which is considered one of like the best editing sort of jobs in film noir. Um, he also edited Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, Flight of the Phoenix, The Dirty Dozen, and The Longest Yard, among others. And he was nominated for an Oscar for all four of those last films that I mentioned. Oh, wow. Yeah. So The Unknown Terror topped the double bill with Back from the Dead when it was released on August 12, 1957. It was regularly shown on TV in late-night creature feature shows um, through the 1960s and 70s, but it has never received an official home video release. It received dismissive and negative reviews from critics at the time, (laughs) 
and did a little under average at the box office. Okay. Modern critical comment seems to focus mostly on the poor quality of the special effects, with any like deeper analysis of the movie mostly coming from studiers of the career of Sir Lancelot. Okay. Well, I guess we will change that. Then. <laughs> uh, we are watching the film on our YouTube playlist from what looks to be someone who's like uploaded like a 16 millimeter rental copy or something like that. It's it's not like the best quality, but as I said, this movie seems to have never gotten a home video release. So you take what you can get. Yeah. So, folks, if you would like to watch along, you can find that YouTube playlist on our website, screamscenepodcast.tumblr.com. You're going to hear a brief musical interlude, and when we come back, we will discuss the unknown terror and see if it's really, truly knowable. (laughs) Um, From 1957, directed by Charles Marquise Warren. See you on the other side, everybody. Welcome back to Scream Scene. We just finished watching The Unknown Terror, directed by Charles Marquis or Marquise Warren from 1957. Might also be Marquis. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We were saying Marcus. Marquis? I was saying Marquis in the first half. You were saying Marquise. Ah, kind of a mix of all of them. Yeah. Well, because uh, when we were doing research, he had two S's. And with French, that would be, you know, emphasis on the S. With one S, it would just be like Marquis. Yeah. Um, and he's got one S in his credit on the movie. Yeah. But anyways, from Chuck Warren comes <laughs> The Unknown Terror, 1957. Ben, first thoughts. Uh, this was one of the worst movies we've seen on the show in some time. Interesting. I actually enjoyed parts of it. I think it had some neat ideas and it fumbled pretty bad on the execution. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if it had more time and money, mainly to polish the script and the monster designs, mm. uh, they could have had something pretty all right. Yeah, they just didn't do those <laughs> things. The movie is also apparently sponsored by Tide. Right. Given yes. the uh, particular special effects that we see. Uh, lots of soap suds. Yeah. Well, let me tell the folks about it. Mm-hmm. We can just dive right in. Yeah. We open with a man who we later learn is named Jim. And he is spelunking. Uh, I don't... They never say spelunking. No. But is that like the right term for people who go into caves? I I'm, thought so. I think so. so. But I don't think they ever say it because they probably assumed either that no American in 1957 who was going to go see this movie at a drive-in knew what the word spelunking meant or nobody writing this movie knew what the word spelunking meant. Okay. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't just like, I don't know, making up meetings sure. or something. Yeah. So he's spelunking and he sees something off screen and screams. And then that's when the title card comes up with the credits. So kind of like an interesting opening. 
Sure. Now, Jim Mueller has gone missing and has been missing for six months. And his sister, Gina, is getting worried and is getting her husband, Dan, to organize a search and rescue mission. Now, part of the reason why she is getting her husband, Dan, to do this is because he goes spelunking, she goes spelunking, and Dan is rich. So yes. he can finance figuring out where exactly Jim went, because mm-hmm. I know he went to like the shores of the Caribbean, but no specific place is really mentioned. Yeah, we never get anything more specific than that. It actually is a little bit confusing where most of this movie is set. Yeah, we can get into that. Now, Dan knows that Jim was looking to go spelunking in the Cueva de los Muertos, a.k.a. the Cave of the Dead. Uh, No one seems to know where this cave is, but Dan has found a, quote, Indian named Raul from the, quote, Caribbean, who seems to know where this cave is. And part of the way that Dan puts these, like dots together is because he heard a song from Sir Lancelot who plays himself in this movie about a cave being like the cave of the underworld and and stuff and Mm -hmm. uh when he hears the song he turns to Raoul and he's like Raoul tell us the actual meaning of this song and how it's actually about the cave of of the dead and how it's near your village and then that's that's how we get Sir Lancelot in this movie now an old flame of Gina's as well as an old friend of Dan's, shows up. His name is Pete, and he offers his spelunking experience. Um, He's, like, really well-known for being an expert spelunker and has gone spelunking with these two as well. However, there is some bad blood because uh, Pete has a um, permanently disabled leg due to an accident that happened when he and Dan were spelunking together. And it's implied that that was how Pete lost Gina's affections, and then she went over to Dan. I didn't know if I really got that, but it, it's definitely clear that it was Dan's fault, uh, yeah. the, the accident. He makes it clear that yes. it was his fault. Yeah, I, um, there's even a line that suggests that Dan's been sending Pete like money to like make up for it that Pete's been like sending back because he doesn't want help from anyone because it's the 50s and he's a man. Yeah. And to be clear, it isn't Dan being like to pay him off or anything. It's like you were a professional cave diver or whatever, and now you can't really work yeah. because of my fault. So let me basically give you welfare. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, as Ben said, Pete is very much someone who does not like to take help from anybody and doesn't like to acknowledge that he has a disability. Pete is toxically masculine. Yes. As you might say. <laughs> but they end up accepting Pete's assistance because they're going into the unknown terror, as mm-hmm. it were, and they need all the help they can get. They arrive at the village uh, and Raul... Wherever it may be. Wherever it may be. And Raul is greeted by um, the villagers. He gets out and he says hi and they're like, oh, hey, it's Raul. Thanks for coming back. And then he disappears. There's no trace of him. So the team that we have, which is made up of Pete, Gina, and Dan, are like, where the fuck did he go? And all the villagers are like, "Go, go see the American doctor. 
he'll answer your questions. This doctor is a Dr. Ramsey, who, when they meet him, he is canning fruit for fungi, because uh, he is a, uh, he's a fun guy. Um, he's not a fun guy. He is, he's a terrible guy. I'm going to back up. I got ahead of myself. That's all right. Ramsey's the kind of guy who says things like, come in, welcome to my home. You'll enjoy it here and you're like why are you talking like that dude this is the guy that ryan vergara took narration (laughs) lessons from in order to do buzzfeed unsolved yeah like he just says everything as if it's a vague threat yeah so dr ramsey explains i've been here for like 15 years um i actually really hate it here uh but it's been helpful with my research into like fungi and mold and antibiotics um and because i helped inoculate the local villagers from smallpox they consider me a god cuz i defeated death uh these villagers by the way apparently would do human sacrifices dr ramsey explains no 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 i i put a stop to that uh, I take the people and then like send them off to you know someplace else. So basically, they get exiled instead of killed. Um, but the majority of the villagers are like none the wiser. And he's like, and I did that for all except one. Enter his wife, Concha, played by Irish American actress May Wynn, no relation to the Kai in Deep Space Nine, <laughs> who is in brown face. Yeah, I mean none of the native people in this movie who based on like the clothing and makeup and hair and stuff look like they're maybe supposed to be like Mesoamerican. Yeah. They, they, as well as like the architecture of the town Mm -hmm. look more Mexican. Uh, if not Mexican, then my next guess would be like from Peru. Yeah. In any case, it's all a little cringe. Yeah. There are no people of color playing these natives um like obviously like sir lancelot's playing himself but he's just a calypso singer guy which is weird because like the calypso singing fits with the caribbean but like nothing else in this does yeah anyways so okay so back to the natives that dr ramsey has taken for himself uh he introduces his wife concha um, and his servant, Lino. Now, anytime that our team asks about Jim or the cave, everyone's like, no, I, I don't know about any cave. Like, I don't know about any explorer who came here six months ago. No, nothing. Unless you ask them like twice. Yeah, like, and then they'll be like, oh, I have heard of a cave. Purgatory. <laughs> or it'll be like, hey, do you know of like an altar around here? And it's like, No, like an altar in the cave where they do human sacrifices. Oh, no, that altar's in the jungle. Okay, so there's no cave? No, not even the cave of death? Oh, that cave. Yeah, yeah, that cave's around here. I can show you the way to that. Like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, it's a little odd. Um, Now, Concha and Pete have a moment because of stuff. Because it's a movie. Because it's a movie, but also like there's just some luck stuff um basically concha goes into the kitchen to grab like 
Okay, she, she grabs a jar that has fruit in it that has the fungi in it, and she accidentally drops it. Ramsey throws a fit and goes in and starts whipping her, and Pete comes in and is like, what the fuck, dude, and defends her. Mm-hmm. And he's like, this is my house, I do what I please, and blah. Ramsey is not the best person, as we will continue to learn. But this allows uh, Pete and Concha to get a little closer. Yeah, the movie kind of sets Pete up as though like he's the hero or the good guy or something. Although I will note that like he's already kind of like has eyes for Kamsha even before this like incident where he saves her. Like she walks into the room and he's like, Oh, nice dress, baby. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, that's someone's wife. And also that someone is right there. Yeah. Yeah. Through this wooing, (laughs) Pete talks Kamsha into taking him and Dan to where we can hear the voices from the underworld uh, because Pete is like, this will lead us to where the cave is. Mm -hmm. As they get taken to where you'll hear voices from like underneath the ground, um, Gina gets threatened by some local natives and also like some kind of creature who's like misshapen and we don't really get a good look at it because the movie's quite aware that it's not a good looking monster um so we'll just put a pin in that yeah um but she like slowly jogs away just like oh no dan where are you oh no something's chasing me i think she her mistake was putting on a white satin nightgown yeah never put that on you're just asking for trouble you're asking for a monster to come by the window of your room that you're going to see in your mirror and then run away from yeah yeah but it, it all, you know, gets kind of like edited to be fine. Yeah, it's a little confusing. Like, it's not clear that the monster's a monster until like a ways into the scene. Like at first you just think it's one of the natives, which is like a little ick. But then it's like clear it's a monster. But as Sarah said, we never get a close up. So you're not quite sure what's going on. And then she runs out into the jungle and gets like confronted by two more natives who are definitely just straight up natives. And then she like collapses to the ground screaming. And then suddenly everything that was chasing her is gone or dead or something. Yeah. As if like someone shot them or right. something, but like you don't see anything. No. And it's, just suddenly not there. it's never brought up or explained. Later, we see <laughs> Lino coming to everyone, uh, holding a knife above their heads as they are asleep. And as he goes to Pete and goes like, okay, this isn't the guy. And then he goes to um, Gina, pulls down her covers and is like, no, that's that's the girl. And then gets to Dan and pulls his covers down. And he's like, ah, this is the person. Holds the knife up high. And then suddenly the lights go on. And Dan's like, what is going on? And Lena's like, oh, no, I was bringing you this knife. <laughs> Everything's fine. It's uh, a fucking Simpsons joke. Like... <laughs> Dude, I thought you just wanted some hot brownies, man. Um, <laughs> Bart, would you like to see my new chainsaw and hockey mask? <laughs> Turns out this knife is Jim's. And Lena was like, yeah, I found it in the cave. I, I will take you there, but we have to go tonight. So he takes Dan and Pete down to the cave. Uh, after he drops them off on horses, he uh, GTFOs. Not because he's scared or anything. He's just like, well, my job here is done. Mm-hmm. As they get into the cave, they do find the altar 
where people would be sacrificed. They head down into the 200-foot-deep pit um, where they find skeletons where these people would have been sacrificed, as well as Raoul's dead body. Hey. So that, that's what happened to Raoul. Dan and Pete get pretty deep into these caves, uh, but then they get separated. Um, as they had arrived at the cave, there was like this big storm coming. And um, now that they are pretty deep, they can see that water is coming down. And basically there's a flash flood while Dan has entered a deeper part of the cave. And that's how they get separated. Before the chaos of the flash flood, Dan sees some strange creatures in the cave. And he goes, and like runs towards them in the confusion. Cut to, we're back at the house and Pete arrives he's like yeah we got separated there was a flash flood like I, I gotta grab the diving gear and head back down there as pete is getting the diving gear together gina's like no i'm coming with you this time you can't go alone and dr ramsey is like yeah lino can go with you too and help carry this gear and pete's like lino left us and lino was like no i i just thought you were going to be there a long time i would have brought the horses back in the morning like it was starting to rain I guess that's a reasonable explanation. <laughs> Let's continue to trust you guys. Uh, and Dr. Ramsey's like, yeah, Lino, you go with. I can't go. Yeah, Lino, you go with. I can't go. Yeah, exactly said like that. So they head back in and what a twist. Lino betrays them. <laughs> um, Gina and Pete get through the tight little tunnel where uh, Dan was last seen and Lino dynamites the cave to cause a cave-in, which also causes rocks to fall into him and he dies. (laughs) Crime never pays. (laughs) Once they are in this next bit of the cave, um, they do find Dan. He's injured and he's like, the creatures, they attacked me. They tried to kill me. And they look up and there are these like hideous like something fungi men yeah i guess mushroom men i guess mushmen i'm gonna call them mushmen yeah i mean that's a accurate ex- like they don't have like visible mushrooms on them but the idea is that the special fungi that dr ramsey kept like waxing poetic about is just all over this cave and pete puts together that uh the people who were going to be sacrificed were actually sent into this cave and are now being like controlled by this fungi i guess um it's not clear it's not clear he just sort of says like oh they must have become guinea pigs for dr ramsey's experiments which like he has no real basis for that and also the movie never dives any deeper into that um we also still never get a close-up of these guys they just look like natives with like kind of mushy faces yeah like they're made to look like they have like baggy skin i guess you could say um and almost like mossy hair Mm. but definitely more like humanoid than like swamp thing yeah as the fungi attack uh they're actually pretty easy to (laughs) fight off uh you just need to throw a torch at their faces and push them into water i guess now dan i guess has broken his back so he can't leave pete can't carry him because his leg and gina refuses to leave without dan so gina stays here with torches while pete goes to try to find another way out the 
fungi, in addition to taking on control of these mushmen, is also depicted as uh, big chunks of tied soap suds falling down the sides of the walls and, and stuff. Um, almost like uh, like the, the foam that results when you put in ice cream too quick into like a boot beer float. Yeah, or like, you know, it's a baking soda volcano. <laughs> That's um, probably a more apt descriptor than my root beer float. Now, I think so. Yeah, the idea that the fung, like, what's the connection between the fungus and the people, is never quite made clear. But um, earlier in the movie, when Ramsey's talking, waxing poetic, as you put it, about this fungus, um, he says that like it grows so fast that you can actually like see it growing. Um, so I think the idea is supposed to be that the fungus is spreading rather than moving because traditionally um, fungus doesn't move or at least it does, but it moves by growing. Yeah. So they're trying to create the appearance of the fungus growing visibly in real time by dripping suds down the walls of the cave set. Yeah. Yeah. And like these these suds are pretty thick. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I don't think it accomplishes quite what they were going for, but you know, it, it was a neat idea. The suds are thick enough that you can kind of buy that. Like if someone didn't leave the room, they could be smothered. In- yeah. 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 So Pete looks for another way out and he comes to a door. <laughs> this door leads to, Dr. Ramsey's basement. <laughs> now he's like banging on the door and Ramsey's like, I'm not opening the door. Sorry, dude. But Pete breaks it in and Ramsey's like, no, what are you doing? The only thing that can kill this fungus is fresh air. And now all, all that's going to go in from this door being open. In my basement. In my basement. And Pete's like, I don't care. We got to go get Dan. Like, you got to help me. And he's like, I can't do that. And then Ramsey realizes that the fungus, fungi, whatever, uh, isn't dying from the fresh air. It's adapted. <laughs> I love the idea that they introduce this fungi's um, like one weakness immediately before telling you that it no longer has this one weakness. Yeah. And so Ramsey's like, well, we got to blow it up. Otherwise, it'll take over the world. Good thing I already have charges set throughout the cave. Yeah. Now, this gets a little confusing um, because it's very chaotic. So Ramsey wants to blow up the caves. Pete doesn't want them to because Dan and Gina are still down there. And then Concha comes in and is like, but Pete, I don't want you to die. Somehow, the resolution of this argument is that Pete throws Ramsey into the caves and tells Concha to blow up the caves, and then Pete heads back in, I guess, to help Dan and Gina. Yeah, I think the idea is supposed to be that, like, Ramsey's coming with him to help get Dan out. And at first it seemed like the idea was supposed to be, like, Concha, do you know how to blow this stuff up? Great, you're going to be on 
blow up this stuff duty. So we'll go in, rescue these people. And then once we're out, blow up the caves. Like that's what I thought was going to happen. But she just straight blows it up. Yeah. Immediately once they're inside. Like she didn't realize like, oh, I was supposed to wait. Yeah. Yeah. And also Ramsey dies from the explosion. Yeah. He gets like hit on the head by a rock. Yeah. So Pete uh, makes his way back down to Gina and Dan's like, so we're trapped in here. And he dies. Solving that dilemma. Yeah. um, So it's just Gina and Pete. Luckily, they have found a pool of water and they have diving gear. And Pete's like, well, I guess this is our one chance to hope that this water heads to the ocean and that's the one way we can get out. So they put on their diving gear, give it a shot. And lo and behold, they made it to a, a cave by the uh, the shore. And uh, they're saved and the fungus is like trapped inside and the end. Yeah, there's a man and there's a woman and our like 70 minutes of movie are over and they're still alive. So it's a happy ending. Yeah, but people have died. <laughs> yes. So remove your hat, <laughs> place it over your heart and, you know stand in remembrance of those we have lost this day <laughs> jim raul lino ramsey dan some random monsters yeah rip mushmen mm-hmm. so at least you know people do die sometimes you gotta like appreciate a horror movie at its basic level then the bar yes. is low with that standard. Yes, a horror movie. Yes, that's what this is. Oh, no, Ben. I'll, okay, full disclosure, I think this is a horror movie, but we can get into that. Yes. Um. Yeah, I, I do see what you're saying about, like, there's some cool stuff here, and I do want to talk about what is neat here and, and what's worth while about this movie, but... It's sort of like if I took like some like really delicious, um, oh, to be on theme truffles. And I was like, this is a delicacy, these truffles. And then I like diced the truffles and then I like mixed them in with like two or three pounds of dog shit. And then I took that dog shit and I like strained it with some water and made a little like dog shit smoothie. And then I was like, drink this. It's like, yeah, the truffles are still in there, <laughs> but you know, the overall product is not great. I thought it was neat to have these fungi people. We haven't really seen mushmen before. I also thought it was a neat idea for the soap suds to be used to show the fungi growing, but rough, and poor execution with both of those ideas. The acting here ranges from like passable to bad. Um, You know, for the most part, the actors like get across what their characters are. Mm -hmm. Some of them a bit too obviously, like it's almost hard to believe that our heroes like trust Ramsey at all at all for like a second yeah given that the actor just plays every single line as if he was twirling a mustache the actors trying to play native characters don't do as well but like that's partially because they get saddled with the like um you know me Tarzan you Jane kind of like speech yeah broken English um really the bigger problem for me 
in this movie than the acting is just that like none of the characters are very likable. Um, well, like except maybe Gina, but she's very like one dimensional. Like her whole thing is like, I need to find my brother. Oh no, we need to find my husband. Oh, I guess he's dead. Okay. Well, that's the end of the movie. Now we have to find the exit. Yeah. But like Dan is sort of nice to Pete, right? Like he's like wanting to make it up to him about this accident, but he's definitely like a rich white guy in like the Caribbean because like the second they get to the village, he's just like ordering people around and like expecting people to just do what he says. Cause he's like a rich white colonial guy and seems to be like super confused when people don't like just immediately do what he asks or says. I love that like they free, like the movie could have handled so many things that it does better. Right. You talk about the execution is poor. Like when Raul goes missing, Dan's the one who's like, Hey Raul, get out of the car now we're at your village go home visit for a while and then he gets out of the car leaves goes into the crowd and then someone's like hey go see the american doctor they're like oh okay we'll do that hey where's raul and then they're like i don't see him anywhere it's like what a mysterious disappearance and (laughs) i don't know dan's kind of aggravating to me but pete isn't much better like he kind of grows on you um once everyone like a fungus right once everyone else is dead and there's no one else to really identify with anymore but like he starts the movie with this huge chip on his shoulder where he wants dan to give him this job but he also doesn't want to accept help from dan and like he's clearly bitter because he used to be in love with gina and like all this kind of stuff and then he gets to ramsey's house and immediately he's like oh a girl who isn't gina but is still married to another guy i will immediately make moves on her And he, like, essentially, like, steals one of um, Gina's dresses to give to Kamsha as a gift in exchange for her taking him to the cave. And, like, that's super weird. And just, like, his attitude towards people, it's all, like, a little ick. Um, Ramsey's not likable because he's just a complete asshole. You know, none of the natives are very likable. Kamsha's got so little character that it's hard to like really invest in her at all. So it's just like very hard for me to care about what happens to any of these people. I will say the cave sets Mm. were very impressive Mm -hmm. to the point where I was like, did they make these? Because like we're flooding them. We got soap sets all over them. Like I feel like they can't be just renting these Mm -hmm. because they're putting them through the ringer. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of cave sets yes. in my day. <laughs> As fans of Star Trek, we can attest. <laughs> and this is, yeah, this is honestly impressive. I think it's the best thing in the movie. Um, it's got like length. It's got depth. It's got height. It's got like different levels. And possibly most impressive at all, it looks like whoever built it had actually seen the inside of a cave. The rock looks like how rock forms in caves rather than like sort of the like oh, it's a styrofoam wall with some ripples in it kind of look, you know? I was really impressed with the cave set. And, like, there's a long sequence of um, Dan and Pete, like, going on a cave adventure. And ultimately, like, it just kind of fills time in the story. Like, Sarah covered it in the plot summary with three words. Uh, And I think it's, like, 15 (laughs) minutes of the movie. But, like, the cave set is good enough that it can, like, support the sequence. Absolutely. I think like they're trying to build tension in there from like the filmmaker's point of view. Mm. I don't think it quite works in terms of building tension 
but they have to go through a few different obstacles. Like they have to go down like a ladder made by what looks like bones. Um, they have to swing across a chasm. Uh, and then of course, you know, they have this flash flood mm-hmm. come in. Um, and it literally comes into the cave set. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like all of the cave stuff's really cool. Like it, it feels like they started with having a cave available to them and then like worked around <laughs> that. Something that really was interesting to me about this movie was its depiction of Pete's disability. Mm. Pete is consistently shown as essentially hating himself yeah. and his limits that are imposed upon him by this disability. And I mean, as like for someone who was very active clearly and now can barely run to go see what is threatening Gina in the woods, mm-hmm. um, I can understand why he has that frustration, but it's really intense. And what I thought was neat was it doesn't just go away when there's action scenes. Sure. He consistently has it through the movie. It's consistently remarked upon as like, oh, are you okay after having that little slide? Yeah. Uh, like, no, you're fine. Okay. Oh, you can't carry this stuff? Okay. Like, something like that. Um, yeah, it's not a limp that just sort of gets forgotten. Yeah. And it isn't cured. Right. There were moments where I thought, like, perhaps in an earlier draft of this script or in, like, one of the tangents as the person was writing that didn't really get followed up on was that his leg could have been cured. Um, Because when he meets Concha for the first time, she's like, oh, you have a bad leg? I had a bad leg, too. Right. Um, And it, like, my leg was cured. Um, And when she starts to say how, Dr. Ramsey is like, Concha, no. Yeah. Um, so I thought there was going to be something about like, oh, he's uh, like experimenting on people and using fungus to help with something like that. Um, but it's never brought up again. So I thought maybe that's something they were going with. Um, but I kind of appreciate that they didn't do anything like that. It just is a disability Mm -hmm. and it's not like tied into the plot in that sort of way. And he doesn't like really have a character arc about it either like he's kind of set up as if he's going to at the start of the movie but like it ends up like he's got more important things on his mind by the end of the Mm -hmm. movie i don't think okay the worst thing about this movie is its script as far as i'm (laughs) concerned like i think the director's trying his best and like clearly the production team is trying their best their best just sometimes isn't good enough, but like they're trying, like, I think all the actors are trying their best. I just think that a lot of these actors aren't like the best professional. Yeah. But the script is bad. And I don't think there were any previous drafts of this script. I think this is it. Um, But I do agree with you that there's this like feeling of a lot of ideas in this script that get brought up and then not resolved. And that's probably my biggest problem with the script like Mm -hmm. the script is made up of two elements one cliches like everything in this movie is like you know oh we got to find this missing person we go to a jungle location there's some superstitious natives and like one crazy mad scientist and then we go on like an adventure and there's some monsters and the scientist betrays us like all of these plot beats we've seen before you know he's got one native assistant who kind of looks like lurch from the adams family like we've seen all this (laughs) he was really tall actually yeah yeah um we've seen all this stuff before the other element in the script is basically 
good ideas that go nowhere. Yeah. Um, so you brought up the one with about the leg, which is really interesting. The movie's just full of unanswered, unresolved questions. Mm-hmm. Like, what killed Jim Wheatley? The creatures. We can assume that, but we don't know. They just find Dan, and Dan's just like, Jim's dead. The creatures are everywhere. Sure. Okay. And we don't ever see Jim's body. Like, it just stood out to me because the whole reason we came here was to find Jim. And, like, it's just sort of handled in, like, a throwaway line of dialogue. Um, Why was he looking for the Cave of the Dead? Like, what was his reason to be there in the first place? Um, Why... Will the natives, like, kill people and even their own people in order to, like, keep them out of the cave or, like, keep the secret of the cave? But also they will lure people to the cave in order to kill them because they know the cave is deadly. Like, what's the big thing that the natives are trying to protect? Mm -hmm. What's the secret? What's Dr. Ramsey even doing here? Like, we know he's here for antibiotics and fungus research and stuff but i mean like what's he doing here now that like (laughs) he's gone crazy right like if the fungus is here for antibiotics why does it presumably kill everything it touches i say presumably because ramsey's like it'll spread everywhere and destroy the world and also one of the mushmen gets defeated by just like pushing him into it so i assume it kills everything it touches but like why why does fresh air kill it? Why did we bring that up when we immediately <laughs> decided it was immune? Why and how is it spreading like that? Like at one point when it's spreading in the cave before Pete finds the door out of the dungeon, Dan's like, it must be Ramsey who's doing this. Like as if like this is a death trap and Ramsey like hit a lever in his basement that said like release the fungus. Mm-hmm. So, like, how is he doing that and why? Um, What were Ramsey's experiments? Like, you just came up with, like, a neat connect the dots thought of, like, oh, he's, like, experimenting on how to, like, heal people with the fungus. But, like, some of the experiments go wrong and turn them into these, like, mushmen. But that's not actually said. No, it absolutely is not. There's no part where Ramsey's like, here's what I was trying to do and why. And they laughed at me and I'll prove them wrong. Like, he doesn't get that speech. All we get for like oh the mushmen are from ramsey is just dan being like or or pete actually being like oh these guys must be the result of his experiments like he just jumps to that because as we've established all scientists are mad and unethical how and why and what is he turning the natives into yeah like how is he turning them into these things why is he turning them into these things? And what are these things? Did Ramsey defeat the God of death by inoculating against smallpox? Or was it actually something to do with the fungus? Are the people who he turned into monsters who were supposed to be sacrificed, people he rescued and then used as experiments? Or are they people he brought back to life after they were sacrificed with the fungus? Are they like fungal zombies? Whose side is he on? Is he working with the natives or against them? Why do the natives want everyone dead? Who knows? Like so many of the questions in the mystery part of this story, all these clues, seem to only have the answer, that's just what happens in these kinds of movies. Yeah. Like, I absolutely see what you're saying and where you're coming from. For me, like, 
yes, this movie is bad, but it's not as bad as I was kind of anticipating it would be. Hmm. Like I said at the top, like, I feel like if it had more money and time, it could have been an interesting, still kind of bad B picture. Yeah. The writer needed more time to write this script. This yes. feels like it was dashed off in a weekend. Um, I didn't talk about the writer in our opening like spiel because he wrote like this, a few episodes of some Western TV shows and like one or two other things. And that's it. Like okay. he has like six credits to his name. I wonder if they all have a fungal theme. <laughs> Everything in this movie's very paint by numbers to the point where it feels like they don't even know what they're painting anymore. You know, it's just like, oh, this happens because this is the part of the movie where this happens. Yeah. Right. There are, I agree with you, pieces in here for something more interesting. Like, I think there's a lot of interesting puzzle pieces here to say something interesting about like fungi and death. Um, you know, like that Tumblr meme, you cannot kill me in a way that matters. You know that meme? I don't think so. So there's a a famous Tumblr meme that um, you'll usually just see shared as like a screen cap, uh, but it starts with sort of a, a story. Me holding a gun to a mushroom. Tell me the name of God, you fungal piece of shit. Mushroom, can you feel your heart burning? Can you feel the struggle within? The fear within me is beyond anything your soul can make. You cannot kill me in a way that matters. Me, cocking the gun, tears streaming down my face. I'm not fucking scared of you! Then there's a reply to this post. Hey, OP, what the fuck does that mean? And the OP replies, decay exists as an extant form of life. And then that person replies, that's a terrifying answer. Have a nice day. And that's sort of what I was thinking about, like with these fungi monsters and like the cave of death and purgatory i kept thinking about like you cannot kill me in a way that matters like the fact that you know what fungus feeds on what fungi feed on is decay right you die and then mushrooms grow out of you kind of thing and there's like something in this movie you could do with that somewhere but the movie just doesn't do anything with that i think it is decently produced for how cheap it is but they needed to, like, have a better script. Sure. So I feel like this is a good time to transition to when we would normally rank. Mm -hmm. So I think this is horror, um, and you don't. Yeah. I can see an argument that this would be, like, an adventure movie that crosses into a horror movie because we have the horror tropes of like mad scientist and, and everything, but the script doesn't really delve into what exactly Ramsey is doing. Yeah. That's basically my position. Okay. Um, I feel this is an adventure movie primarily because the majority of its screen time feels like I'm watching like a, a movie serial. Like it's like, we're going on a cave adventure. We're, you know, swinging over chasms. Like, Nothing says, hey, this is an adventure movie, like swinging over a chasm. And like so much of the movie's just like this like cave adventure. And then like the way that the monsters attack, like they aren't treated like zombies or or horror monsters. They're treated like CR one quarter, you know, adventure movie monsters, like they're putties from Power Rangers or they're, you know, the like 
low-level mummies that Brendan Fraser fights in the mummy. Like they're just here so that our heroes can like bash them in the face once and then they fall down. And the big climax of the movie is like, oh, this cave, it's been blown up and now it's filling with fungi and we got to like dive into the water and swim away. Like that felt very action movie. The only thing here that felt really like a horror movie to me that wasn't just like tropes like using horror movie tropes, which overlap with other genres quite a bit, um, is the scene with Gina in her nightgown, which is very classically horror. Like she's in white and then the monster's at the window and then she runs through the night and the monster chases, right? And that's it. And that's like one scene in this whole movie. And I think, you know, in the past I've brought up this example, like there are a lot of scenes in like, fellowship of the ring that have a horror vibe to them because of the ring wraiths, but it doesn't make the fellowship of the ring a horror movie. So that's, that's my position is that like most of this feels like something that you would run as like a D and D scenario. Like most of this feels like an action serial, especially the thing that felt the most like a movie serial to me about this was exactly the way that plot elements are like introduced and then immediately contradicted <laughs> Or become important and then immediately aren't important. So I feel like this is horror because while it doesn't really care what Dr. Ramsey is actually doing and the horror scene that you identified with Gina running through the woods in her nightgown is poorly executed, I was thinking about what these characters are going through. Um, If there's a character arc, it's... Dan and Pete dealing with their bad blood um, as they go spelunking. The reason that Dan gets trapped is because he has a line that's like, you know, I want Gina to know that I went first to look for Jim Mm -hmm. um, because I came second in love. So I need her to know that I I went first. Mm -hmm. And Pete acquiesces to that. And it it just seemed like a a moment of like some kind of character development. And then it immediately goes to shit. Mm -hmm. The scene when Gina is like being pulled away from Dan's body. Mm -hmm. uh, She's lost her husband. She's lost her brother. Um, She's clearly like traumatized Mm -hmm. from all of this. And I don't think Pete is like particularly unscathed as well psychologically Mm -hmm. uh i don't know i I just felt like even at the end like sure we defeated the fungi fungus um it's trapped in the cave and like okay we got through it but like they're still in the middle of nowhere they're still stranded the problem is that these are all like readings you're bringing to the movie that I think are 100% valid, but that I don't think the movie cares about or is doing on purpose. Okay. Like, I do agree that um, Mela Powers is trying her best to like emote the hell out of the scene where she gets pulled away from dead Dan, but the movie doesn't seem to care. Like, it feels like she as an actress is making that choice, but the movie's not giving her a close-up or anything. It's not dwelling on the moment. And, you know, you talk about the uncertain ending. The movie's music doesn't give us a feeling of like, but at what cost? Or, you know, what will they do now? It just feels like the end. Like, of course it's a happy ending. They're alive and we're at 70 minutes, so we're done. Um, And I agree with you that 
it's like, well, no, they, they're just trapped on a beach by a cave somewhere. Like, what are they going to do? Swim back to like North America? Um, but I don't think the movie cares. I think the movie just thinks like, yeah, everyone bad was dead and they got away. So I think it's over. Right. Um, especially what I tend to look for, for those emotional cues is the music. And the music is very triumphant at the end. And, and when, you know, they're escaping the cave, the music's more focused on like the excitement of like, will they get out? Um, which is part of why it felt more adventure movie to me as well. Sure. Um, I think you are, you know, right about the character arcs. Um, I think, you know, Pete and Dan kind of come to an understanding, but I also think there's a lot of the actors bringing stuff to the script that the script isn't like doing on its own, or if it is, is only doing it in the most like surface level of ways. And most of all, even if the experience is horrific for the characters, to me, it didn't feel like the movie was trying to horrify me with any of it. You know, you know, Frodo comes away from Lord of the Rings traumatized, but like, that's not, the movie isn't emphasizing the, that as being horrific in the same way. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at is I agree with you on those readings, but I don't think the movie cares. And that's why I don't think the movie is a horror movie, okay. even if those elements are in it. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. I will say that um, I'm glad that we did watch this because as we get closer to The Blob with Steve McQueen, <laughs> which to be fair, I have never seen. Um, all I know is Blob. Uh, when we have movies that feature a Blob-like visual for the big bad, uh, I just keep making a mental note because The Blob has always stood out as like, an outlier in terms of what the big bad is in a horror movie. Sure. You know? So seeing the unknown terror and the way that they used soap suds, I think is, is made it worthwhile to see, even if I think at the end of the day, we are not going to rank it. Yeah. I think that like, if the movie focused more on the fungus as a threat, even though like the movie at the end tries to pull this, like, you know, the thing-esque thing where it's like, if it gets away, it'll destroy the world. Like, it's just a thing that's like brought up and dismissed real fast. Um, functionally, the fungus is treated more like a, like a hazard. Yeah. Than a big threat. If the movie had focused on the fungus as a threat and focused on the monsters, you know, like gave the monsters a close up, I would maybe feel like this was more horror than, than it is. But when you yeah. just, when all of your monsters have to remain in like the far background because you're embarrassed to show them on camera, like it's hard to uh, feel like you're trying to scare me. Yeah. I think if it had leaned into the idea of the mushmen being undead, mm -hmm. but all of the villagers and even Dr. Ramsey being controlled by the fungus, like they yeah, have instead the of like a computer chip, they have like a little like, toadstool out of the back yeah of the yeah and like if, that would have been kind of neat and it also like i do agree with you and i also think that like you know i don't know if the movies mushmen are fungal zombies or not but like my brain went to that place because that idea has become really prominent in horror lately um i think the version that most people in the audience would be familiar with is the last of us um, mm -hmm. is, is basically fungus zombies, but like that idea of all mushrooms are one organism. And so you're in like a hive mind kind of thing. Like, I feel like that's come up in 
sci-fi more and more recently. Yeah, and I mean, even thinking of like Invasion of the Body Snatchers Mm -hmm. where you're replaced and are not an actual human, but you have humanoid form, like you could kind of make the leap from that to Mushmen here. Yeah, it comes back to our point about like, there are interesting things here that the movie didn't do enough with. But I am glad we watched it um, for the related reason, because I think this is an interesting early precursor of like the fungus monsters that we're now seeing more often Mm -hmm. in media today. Uh, How do you feel about that as someone who hates mushrooms? They're good monsters. Okay. So coming in as the newest entry in the miscellaneous list is the unknown terror from 1957 directed by Charles Warren. If you would like to see this list, you can go to our website, screamscenepodcast.tumblr.com. There you can also find links to the other episodes we've mentioned today, like the episode on the undying monster, which is also on the miscellaneous part of the list. If you would like to contest this or any other ranking, you can drop us a line through our ask box on Tumblr. You can reach out over email at screamscenepodcast at gmail.com or over Twitter at underscore screamscene. Scream Scene updates every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can subscribe to the show through our RSS feed. And if you'd like to help the show out, you can leave us a rating and a review on the service that you listen to us on. Or you can recommend the show to others uh, through social media or in person. Word of mouth is the best way for podcasts to grow their audience. Spread us like spores. Right, exactly. Um, Or if you have the means... Uh, you can head on over to patreon.com slash podcast, where you can become a patron of the night for as little as a dollar a month. Patrons at the $5 and $10 level get access to regular bonus content. And uh, thanks to our supporters on Patreon, we're now doing a bonus episode every month on horror-adjacent films. And it looks like the horror-adjacent film for August is going to be... Young Frankenstein. For Mel Brooks. 1974. Uh, which should be a lot of fun to talk about. A lot of fun. It's going to be probably another very long episode. Yeah. Because our mummy episode was like two and a half hours Yeah, long. it's 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 like our second longest episode by like five minutes or something. Yeah. Uh, but it's thanks to your support that we're able to do stuff like that. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you very much. And if you'd like to join those supporters, you can by heading over to patreon.com slash scream scene podcast. So Ben, I think you already said it, uh, but what are we watching next week? Yes. So next week's the bottom half of the double bill also directed by Charles Warren back from the dead about a woman who's possessed by her husband's ex wife. What? Uh, This is my third time exclaiming about it. Um, It does sound fucking wild, though. The writer's a woman, and it's based on her own novel. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say her own experience. I was (laughs) like, what? (laughs) But okay, cool. Oh, oh, novel. I I like when novelists are able to have their hands in adaptations into other mediums. Mm, mm, mm. So, yeah, that's what we're looking at next week, Creatures of the Night. Bye. Bye. Bye.